Amen. Not only is it Father's Day today, but also today is Juneteenth, and so we praise God for the freedom of all, don't we? And so let us pray and thank God for freedom. God, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. You provide spiritual freedom. You also work in the lives of people and give us freedom in this country to worship and to live freely. And we thank you for that. We also know that other parts of the world, that's not the case at this point. And so, God, we pray that you would work and move in all areas because you are God and you are good. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, like Spencer said, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. If you haven't been with us, we're just kind of walking through the book of Acts chapter by chapter. And so if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 9. Um, as you're turning there, one of the, my favorite movies ever is National Treasure. And um, if, yeah, some of you are like, what? That movie? Uh, but yes, that movie is phenomenal. Nicolas Cage and stuff. Uh, I'm probably going to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it yet. But if I do spoil it, it's kind of your fault. <laughs> because it's been out for a long time. All right? You've had ample opportunity to watch National Treasure. And so in this movie, uh, Nicolas Cage is a treasure hunter, of course, and he goes on a quest, and he goes on this quest to find treasure, and he hears of this amazing treasure that no one can find. And so the movie is him just kind of finding different clues. One of the clues is on the back of the Declaration of Independence, which, of course, he has to steal to be able to look at the back of it. And then he goes and he finds other clues. My favorite clue he finds are these, like, glasses that he has to look at something through them that Ben Franklin made. Uh, it's just a great story. Uh, and one reason why I loved it is because I feel like I have an adventurous heart and I would love to go on a treasure quest if the Lord should ever give me the opportunity, uh, which we probably won't. But I would absolutely love that. And so uh, this idea of a quest, who wouldn't like to go on a quest in life? One thing that uh, is so amazing about quests is that it's, a, it's adventurous. It gets you out there. You have to find these clues and stuff like that. But uh, I bring this up because when it comes to God, what we have to understand is that our God is on a divine quest. He's on a divine quest, but our God does not need clues like Nicolas Cage did. Our God knows exactly what he's doing, and he knows exactly what he is looking for. So the question is, is what is he looking for? Well, first, our God is on a divine quest for the least likely. He searches for those who are down and out, for those who are empty, for those who are hurting, and for those who are vulnerable. Maybe one of those things today, maybe that's you in this room. Not only is he on a quest for the least likely, but he's also on a quest for the least deserving. He's on a quest for those who are so wretched, for those who think they are so strong, for those who are prideful and stubborn. He's on a quest for those who think they can do life without him. And he's even on a quest for those who persecute him. You see, God is on a divine quest for the least likely and the least deserving. In other words, we can summarize it as that he's on a quest searching for you and for me. 
He's on a quest for our souls. We are the least likely and the least deserving. We all have to come to grips with that. And that's why it makes Matthew 18 so much uh, better and, and just vibrant in our eyes because look what Jesus himself says. He says, if a man has 100 sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. Jesus is the good shepherd who goes and searches for the one that is lost who goes on the divine quest to find the one who desperately needs Jesus for the least likely and the least deserving. He's on a quest for you and for me today. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you are. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you may be doing right now. Our God is on the quest for us. And in Acts chapter 9, through the conversion of Saul, we're going to see this quest play out, and we're going to learn some things from it. First, really, the bottom line today is Jesus, what we have to understand is that Jesus can find you, he can care for you, and use you no matter who you are or where you have been. And that's what we're going to see in Acts 9. So let's just jump right in and start in verse 1. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 9. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there, blind, for three days, and did not eat or drink. And so to set this up a little bit, if you haven't been with us, in Acts chapter 7, uh, we see that Stephen was chosen to be one of these amazing guys who's going to serve the tables. And he steps up and he gives this amazing message to the people in Jerusalem. So much so, he's speaking about Jesus and his resurrection that the people didn't like it and they end up killing Stephen for what he had said. Stephen was the first martyr. And because of that, guess what? All the people who belonged to the way dispersed. They all either went into hiding or they ran away to different cities 
fearing for their life. And in Acts chapter 8, we see that Saul approved of this execution, and then he started to ravage the church. And so Saul was the driving force behind throwing people into prison or killing them if they rejected. He was fiercely searching for and destroying the church. In other words, he was on his own quest. He was focused on stomping out any talk of Jesus as the resurrected Christ. And here in 9-1, we just read that we see that he is still breathing threats and murder against the disciples, those who follow Jesus. In fact, we're told that Saul is eager to destroy anyone who belongs to the way. Isn't this such a great name for the church? The way. Before anyone were called Christians, that doesn't come until later in the book of Acts when all of a sudden these Gentiles are wrapped in and then they have a whole new name being called Christians. Before this happens, the church was called the way. And you may be able to assume why it's called the way because of this very familiar verse that you've probably heard in your life before. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I love that they're called, it's called the way here because at this point in the church, the church was only focused on one thing. Seeing people inherit eternal life. Seeing people redeemed through Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. The name of the church reflects that this church is not focused on a lifestyle, not focused on serving, not focused on music preferences. It's not focused on anything preferential or, or on the peripheral, if you will. It's focused on the main thing. It's focused on the foundation of what it should, the church should be focused on. It was solely focused on knowing and trusting in Jesus for the salvation of sins. That's it. That's what distinguished these people from the other Jewish people, that they were following Jesus, who was the way. And that's why Saul was so against this, because Saul, who taught in the synagogues, he taught the law, and he was actually a master at it, but the law was, he taught that the, you had to keep the law for salvation, but the way was all about salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So you had these two different messages going on. And Saul couldn't have the way winning out because if the way went out, guess what? People would stop going to the synagogues. It would lose money. It would lose power. And it would lose status. And so Saul couldn't have it. So he searched for the people belonging to the way. And he did anything he could to suppress what God was doing. And so Saul, we're told that he had his sights set on Damascus, which is north of Jerusalem. The fact that he is going away from Jerusalem tells us something very chilling. It tells us that his job in Jerusalem is done. Think about that. His job in Jerusalem is done. And remember, after Stephen was killed, everybody kind of dispersed or went into hiding. And so apparently, Saul has done all he could in Jerusalem. And so he sets his sight north of Jerusalem to Damascus because he probably caught wind that a lot of believers, those belonging to the way, are living in Damascus. And so he asks for permission to go. And of course, the high priest gives him his permission. But little did Saul know that while he was on his own quest, doing his own thing, God was on a divine quest for his soul. 
On the road to Damascus, Saul was found by Jesus. They were walking along and there was a blinding flash. We read this and suddenly Saul was lying in the dirt quivering and he hears a verse, a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul didn't know who it was, so he asked, who are you, Lord? That word Lord, he's not calling Jesus Lord at this point. That's a term of respect. He's basically saying, who are you, sir? He has no idea who this could be. And so he hears the most amazing answer to his question. He hears, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. Do you guys remember in the Old Testament, in Exodus, when Moses has this brilliant interaction with a burning bush, and God is calling Moses to lead his people, and Moses is like, ah, he gives five excuses of why he shouldn't do this and how, how, how much he shouldn't be used by God. And then finally, he's like, all right, I'll do it, but, but who do I tell the people you are? And God says, tell them the I am sent you. The I am. And here we see in Acts chapter 9, Jesus coming in and and Saul has the same exact question. Who are you? Who do I tell the people who sent me? Who do I tell everybody that this happened? And Jesus says, I am. The same God that called Moses is the same God that stopped Saul on, on the road to Damascus. He says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Jesus found Saul But why? Why Saul? Why the one ravaging the church? Why the one suppressing what God is doing? He found Saul so that Saul could know the truth. How often in your lives does the truth in a certain situation transform who you are and what you're doing? It happens to me often as a parent. I have a lot of kids, and one of the kids always will come up to me crying and saying it's all their fault. And my natural instinct is to defend that one kid, so I start just yelling at the other kids without knowing the truth, and yet the other one comes up, and they're like, well, they actually hit me first. And the truth changes how I respond in the moment, doesn't it? The truth changes who we are and how we respond in life. In other other words, it transforms who we are. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted to do with Saul. He wanted to give him the truth so that he could transform Saul's life and trajectory. And so what's the truth he wanted him to know? It's very simple. Jesus only said two things. He says, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. So first, Jesus wanted Saul to know that he is alive. Remember, the the big difference between the Jewish synagogues and the way is the resurrection of Jesus. That is the hinged truth of the entire movement of the church from Acts all the way till this morning. And that is exactly what Jesus wanted Saul to understand. Jesus wanted Saul to know that he, in fact, was alive. Because Saul's entire mission was bent on the fact that Jesus was still in the grave. And yet Jesus says, listen, that is not true. In fact, I am alive. I am alive. And not only that, not only am I alive, not only have I resurrected, not only do people find life through me, not only am I the way, but also you are persecuting me. 
You are persecuting me. That's the second truth he wanted him to know. It's here we see the beautiful unity between the risen Savior and the redeemed saints. There's this beautiful unity that happens when someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, there's this, this unity between Christ and them that a lot of non-believers or people who don't follow Jesus can recognize, can't they? People will often say to me, man, I wish I had a relationship with Jesus like you do. It's like, well, you can have that. You can be unified with Christ. You can have that relationship with Christ. And so when Saul was persecuting someone, Jesus makes it very clear that when you're persecuting this person, you're actually persecuting Jesus. And if you don't understand this, try to mess with my kids and see what happens, right? We're going outside, okay? Just kidding. I've never been in a fight. You'd probably win, all right? But there's this weird unity that if you try to come at my child, me as their father, guess what? I'm going to step in. Because if you mess with them, you're messing with me. Because I'm the one who cares for them, who loves them, who protects them, who provides for them, who teaches them, who instructs them, who disciplines them. I'm the one who is their father. And so if someone were to come at them, it's as if they're coming to me, and it's the same way with us and God. He is our good father who loves us, protects us, provides for us, leads us, disciplines us, and who will never leave us. He is our father. And there's this amazing unity that we have with Jesus Christ. And Saul needed to know that on the road to Damascus. He needed to understand two things. Jesus is alive in the fact that there's this unity between the risen Savior and the redeemed saints. And it's through this interaction that we can know two vital truths as well today. Jesus found Saul so that he can know two vital truths first, so that we can know two vital truths. First, the fact that Jesus finds us. A lot of people in this culture think that we have to find Jesus. A lot of people think that we have to get right with God before we can step foot in a church or we can be a part of a, a group of people who follow Jesus. That's just not right. Did Saul do anything for this experience to happen on the road to Damascus? Absolutely not. Jesus found him. You look at other people and you're like, how do they have a relationship with Jesus? Jesus found them. Listen, Jesus is the good shepherd who finds you and me. We sang that in Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now am found. Jesus finds us. The second truth we learn is that Jesus chooses who he's going to find. And we find this truth in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. And guess who wrote this? Saul did when he became a missionary and he's planting all these churches. Look what Saul writes. In this, in what he's about to say here is not a baseless claim. He's speaking from experience here. He says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Think about Saul, who's ravaging the church, who's persecuting the way, who's killing Christians. He says this, the fact that, listen, in God's eyes, God's the one who chooses who's going to be without fault. Paul is saying, that was me. 
I had a lot of faults, and yet God's the one who chose me. And then it says God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. So how are we brought to God's family? Through the way, through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. And so we find two truths here. The fact that Jesus is, first of all, Jesus finds us, and second, that Jesus chooses who he will find. And so Saul was not only found by Jesus, but we also read in in Acts 9 that Saul was cared for by Jesus. He was cared for by Jesus. Saul wasn't able to see, so he was led by friends to Damascus. And they find a place on Straight Street owned by Judas where they stay for three days. Little side note here, I love the fact that Luke puts what street they're going to and the fact that it's called Straight because... Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. It's almost as if Luke wanted us to understand that Saul's journey was this crooked path and yet after Jesus found him, now he's headed to Straight Street, which is pretty amazing. And I don't know if Luke actually thought that. That just came to mind, all right? And so while they're there, God decides to care for Saul through a man named Ananias, which is amazing that God, God didn't have to choose someone to work through, and yet he did. He chose to work through another person like Ananias, and it also makes us think about who in your life has God used to work in your heart to care for you. God sends people all the time to help us. So in a vision, we're, we're, I'm, we can't read it, it's really long, but we're getting into Ananias' story. In a vision, God told Ananias to go to the house where Saul is, to lay hands on him so that he may regain his sight. And just like anyone us would do, Ananias had some reservations of what God asked him to do. He heard about Saul. He heard what Saul had done to anyone belonging to the way. And guess who Ananias belonged to? The way. And so Ananias was, had a little trepidation. He was like, I don't know about this, God. You want me to go see the person who's going to persecute people belonging to the way, and I belong to the way. And so his fear is very understandable, isn't it? And yet God chooses to show his plan to Ananias for for Saul. But the Lord said, go to Ananias, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. So God takes a moment to say, listen, you can go because I have this amazing plan for Saul. And so what does Ananias do? He left his house and he went. He left his house and he went. He was faithful. He was faithful. Check it out. So Ananias went. Sometimes we read those little phrases too fast. Sometimes we have to pause there because that's where we see the faithfulness of someone who's following Jesus. The fact that God called him to do something uncomfortable. And guess what? Ananias went. That's faithfulness. Ananias went and found Saul. And he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, there was no time here, instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes where he regained his sight. 
Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul is cared for by Jesus, and Jesus cares for his greatest needs. First, his physical sight, and also his spiritual sight. I love reading the Gospels because you read these stories about Jesus who goes and he heals all these blind people and cripples and lepers and all that stuff. But Jesus never just heals them physically. Do you understand that? In each of these situations, Jesus always heals them, but it's also because of your faith, get up and walk. Because of your faith, open your eyes. Because of your faith, he touches the leper. And so always the physical healing mirrors their spiritual healing. And that's exactly what happens here in Acts chapter 9. The physical healing of, of his eyesight mirrors his spiritual transformation. The eyes of Saul's heart have been opened. Have been opened all by Jesus. Jesus did for Saul what Saul could never do for himself. Do you get that? Saul could never heal his physical eyesight. And, it, and especially Saul could never heal his spiritual blindness. But Jesus did that for him. Jesus cared for him, and Jesus cares for our greatest need as well. Our spiritual transformation in life. When Jesus found you, he cared for you, and your spiritual scales fell from your heart, and you can now see who he is. And you can now see what your purpose is in this life. See, a lot of us in this room probably have a story like Saul's where Jesus met us on the road to Damascus and Jesus cared for us in that moment in our lives because Jesus cares for us. But the question is, is why? Why does Jesus care for us? Does he just care for us to then let us go off on our own and do our own thing in life? No, he doesn't. Saul was found, cared for, so that God could use him. Saul was used by Jesus. We go back to Acts 9.15. And we, I'm highlighting this verse one more time because in the book of Acts, there's specific verses that kind of set up the rest of the book. And so in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see that that's the theme verse for the entire book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, we see the unity of the church. In Acts chapter 4, we see another part where people are coming to know Jesus. And then... We get to Acts chapter 9, 15, and where God is speaking to Ananias, but he's also showing what Saul's purpose is going to be, how he's going to use Saul. He says, Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles, to the kings, as well as the people of Israel. And if you haven't read the book of Acts, guess what happens? First, Saul goes to the Gentiles. Then he ends up at the feet of kings, and he also preaches to the people of Israel. Isn't that pretty amazing? God found Saul. He cared for his greatest needs so that he could use him for God's glory and for the sake of others. And that's exactly what Saul ends up doing in life. He goes and he is faithful, which brings us to the point that all God wants from you and from me today is faithfulness. Ananias was faithful and went. Saul was faithful and went. So how is God asking you? What is God asking you to do? And how are you going to be faithful to him? 
You see, Jesus can find you. Jesus can care for you. And Jesus can use you no matter who you are or where you've been. If anyone were to have been disqualified from serving God, it would have been Saul, right? If anyone were to be uh, uh, looked down upon and said, there's no way they are qualified, it would have been him. But it's not us who qualifies ourselves. It's God who qualifies us. And so listen, all of us in this room today fit into one of these three categories. First, Maybe you're someone who's just lost. And you're here today and you don't even know why. You're so far gone that you have no clue what's going on. Well, listen, Jesus can find you. And so I want to encourage you to embrace him because he is looking for you. And he wants to find you and he wants you to be his child. And so embrace Jesus today. Others of you in this room are broken You're broken, you're hurt, you have no clue what's going on. People are guiding you through this life because you just don't know what's going on. You can't see really well what's happening. And so how is Jesus caring for you today? How is, through his word, through prayer, through other people like Ananias, how is God caring for you today? Where is he showing up? Because let me tell you, he is. We just have to have the the eyes to see it. And then others of you in this room, you are ready to be used by God. Others of you in this room, maybe you've never served God. Maybe you've never taken that step. But at some point, remember, God did not find you and care for you just for you to do whatever you want. God did that so he could use you for his glory and for the sake of others. And so in what ways can God use you today? In what ways can you be faithful to the God who graciously found you and cared for you. Let's pray. God, we 